The following podcast is an audio version of a live show that takes place daily on Crowdcast. To join our live audience, visit our Crowdcast website at crowdcast.io slash in lieu of fun. That's crowdcast.io slash in lieu of fun. Yeah. That is absurd, Ben. <laughs> okay, so now I can you open up our live stream and Oh see wow, it? that is so lovely. Someone is chatting something very, very like that's great. Can we do something about that? All right. Um I think can you open our live stream and see if uh, we are actually yeah. now on YouTube as well. We should have a we live are. stream. Cool. Yeah, it's working. All right. So um, let me go to that and then tweet out the uh, YouTube live location. Um, and then we will be on both. This works much better than the, what we were trying to do yesterday. Great. Um, how was your day? All right. There we go. So let's tweet this out. And then all we need is one Anna Salvatore, and we will be in business. <sighs> Man, it is a Friday. All right. Let me, uh, Just text Anna and I think we will be good to go. Great. Here she is. Great. All right. Anna, turn on your camera. Hi. Hello. Hi. I can't hear them though. Let's see. Wait, I can't hear you. Okay. Can you uh, speak? I'm speaking now. Can you hear me? Hold on. I can hear you. This is my dad, by the way. Hi. Hi, dad. Hi. High <laughs> school. But, but your headphones are in. You should use your. Headphones. Yeah, because I have my laptop. I know. I know. Yeah. And, uh, no, don't. don't I know. Touch, I'm just doing. Don't touch that. Put the headphones in. 
Well, they're not speaking now. Could, would, would one of you guys mind speaking right now? Hi. Great. Thanks so much, Dad. Sure. Oh my gosh, who is this guy? Oh no, don't take him away. Wait, I'm not hearing well, anybody now. You're not hearing anybody? Kate, can you speak? Yep, I'm talking. Um, Anna, you can hear me, right? Yep, I can hear you. Okay, I can hear Anna and Anna can hear me. Um, but then you... Can you hear Ben? Okay, Anna? Kate, can you yeah, hear can me hear now? Ben. Yes, I can hear you. Talk. Um, I'm talking. Anna and I can hear each other and we can hear you, um, but you can't hear us. Um, My dog so, just walked in, but now she's left. Um, hmm. um, can you hear me? Yes. But I cannot hear you guys. Now I can. Oh, uh -huh. okay. There we go. Uh, That's what I had a feeling it was your output. You yeah, good? it is. It is the remark, the remarkable failure to unmute my computer. <laughs> um, uh -huh. All right. And we are, it is 4.59 and we are ready to go. We are live on YouTube and we're live on, um, on Zoom. So all I have to do is Are you all ready? right, I think we're ready. Yeah. Are we ready to go? Yeah, I'm ready. It's, wait, we gotta wait till five o'clock. Oh, okay. Oh. All right, let's Anna, where's your scotch? I'm yeah, joking. We're, we're gonna get I'm to joking. that, okay. <laughs> Hang on a second. Uh, Kate, you wanna do the intro? Yeah, I didn't know we have an intro. Welcome to- Whatever you do now is gonna be our intro. It's gonna be, hello, it is a Friday and in lieu of fun show, episode three. Uh, welcome to the show. Our guest today is Anna Salvatore. Um, it, her more popularly known by her handle, High School SCOTUS. Um, and we are going to have a bunch of fun. Um, Anna, I was joking before, you don't have to drink scotch with us. Uh, in fact, please don't. I feel like I should, that's like the last possible thing that I should be joking about as a law professor. <laughs> yeah, because uh, if, if you drink scotch, then we will be corrupting youth. Because, uh... <laughs> all right. Well, I um, wanted to have fun with you guys and not break state law, so I have some Diet Coke. Excellent. Oh, very excellent. cute. Um, all right, so a few logistical announcements. Um, for those of us, for those who are attending uh, uh, on the Zoom call, uh, you guys can actually kind of participate in this. Uh, so if you want to uh, send a question to Anna uh, or to us, use the Q&A uh, function and send us questions. And we will, depending on your preference, we can read the question. We can even uh, uh, bring you in audibly so that you can hear. For those of you who are joining us on YouTube, um, uh, you can't ask questions uh, unless you want to come into the Zoom meeting, in which case you're more than welcome. Um, but we figured this would be a better way to do this 
than what we tried to do yesterday. And I wanna personally apologize to all of you for the tech disaster yesterday, uh, which was not a function of my having had too much scotch. Uh, I think it was a function of my computer not having quite enough processing power. Uh, so uh, um, we're doing it this way instead, should give us some more capability. We all spend all day on Zoom these days anyway, so we're pretty comfortable with it. So, uh, you know, use the uh, functionality that you have. We can be engaged with you as you want. And again, if you're watching us on YouTube and you want to take part in the conversation, just come on over to Zoom. Uh, we'd love to have you. And we will go back and look at the YouTube comments uh, later, um, but we can't do that in real time while we're doing this as well. Um, all right, let's get started. Kate, what's on your mind? I don't know. Just How'd you spend uh, your day? It was a good day. I taught two makeup classes, which were exhausting. Um, and uh, I'm just getting, it's just so hard. Um, I, Anna, I don't know, are you doing remote classes for your high school? Yeah, although we don't do um, video calls all that often, maybe once or twice a week. Most of the time it's just digital assignments, like watching a video or reading part of a book. So how does, how does uh, remote uh, second semester senior year at, uh, in, in New Jersey high schools work? Like what, what are you actually spending your time doing? I think you know the answer to that. I think a lot of it <laughs> is kind of reading for fun, walking my dog, and then maybe doing some work that I have to get done. Um, in English, actually, we're reading The Stranger, which I'm excited about. So we were told to like read the first couple chapters. Although it's notes. not the, like why we're don't they reading The Plague? I mean, I know. Camus wrote I know. a book called The Plague. I, I mean, if you're going to read Camus this year, why uh, like The Stranger? The Sorry. Stranger has an entire scene in it where you're like trapped, where the guy is trapped. I forget, like, I remember reading that in high school and he's trapped in a tree trunk and he talks about watching the clouds go by and that being like a sufficient way of like passing the time. That's not so different from what we're all doing now. <laughs> oh, exactly. Yeah, and the sun blinds him and he can't think of anything. I think that's yeah. kind of sun blind. So here, Anna, here's the key question. How, um, in your friend group, is anyone actually doing the work in school or are you just, is this basically like senior skip three months? Depends on the class. I've been doing my statistics work and I think people have been doing that. Other than that, really not much, not much at all. We're enjoying it as much as we can, as well as going a little bit crazy. Yeah. Are you so, Go ahead then. No, no, so how are you spending your time? Like, what are you doing with yourself? So I've been binging the web. Wait, wait, did we lose? Yeah, I think you muted muted yourself, Anna. Uh, oh, there you go. Unmute yourself. Hmm. Can you hear me now or not? Yep. yep. Can, so start again. You're binging what? The West Sorry Wing. Sorry about that. The West Wing. Um, I've been trying to learn Italian, and I've just been reading a lot. So 
Red the Stranger, um, The Metamorphosis, Candide, um, The Topeka School, which is a book about high school debate. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to make the most of it. It's hard to focus on anything. And I haven't done much with high school SCOTUS either, really for several months. Um, but, you know, I'm hanging in there. So what's the, uh, um, why have you not been doing a lot of high school SCOTUS? I was a little bit burned out, actually. Um, I was focusing like every day on keeping up with oral arguments and keeping up with opinions, writing it down. I would have like crises of confidence about like, oh, are enough people reading it? Am I doing anything different from actual Supreme Court journalists? Um, am I just doing it worse? and in like a dumbed down way. Um, and I just, I'm coming back to it on my own time and when it's fun, um, I'll do it then. So- What are you um, gonna do with it when it get, when you go to college? So you're graduating this year, you're gonna go to college in the fall, yeah. assuming, assuming society has restarted by then. Um, what happens to the site? Are you gonna pass it off to somebody else? Are you gonna retain control of it and it's gonna become like, college SCOTUS or high school SCOTUS that Anna still runs? What happens to the site? I don't think I'll have an active role in it. Uh, for people who don't know, my blog is called High School SCOTUS. So I really trapped myself there and made sure that it would be an awkward situation when I graduated. Um, I think Did you think about my... that at all when you started it? Oh, God, no. Yeah, no. I got I, You I thought high school was going to be it. forever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and thankfully it's not. Um, yeah, there's a kid in my school who's maybe interested in taking it up. He's a year younger and he could run it for a year. But other than that, I, I probably see it being archived and just available for people who want to read it, classes that want to use it. Um, I might. What about your other contributors? Are any of them, I mean, you have like this army of people around the country who are, uh, you know, who, in fact, one of them accosted me at a speech I gave at the University of Minnesota and he looked like he was a little too young to be there. And he asked a mm -hmm. really good question. And, uh, you know, it took about one or two questions from me to him before he said, I'm a friend of Anna's. I work for high school. <laughs> <laughs> he was like a sophomore at some, some local high school. It was pretty awesome. So like, what, what happens to your, I don't know who he was, but uh, you probably do. What, happen yeah. what happens to your network? Yeah, friend of Anna's is like a code term for a Supreme Court nerd under 18. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's Curtis. He lives in Minnesota. He's, he's brilliant. He's like a little Josh Blackman. Um, yeah, the best part of the blog has been having this community of nerds I didn't know before. Um, they're from like, I guess you know the drill, but like North Carolina, California, um, New York City. And so they haven't been writing as much because some of them have graduated and moved on to college. Um, they have their own stuff to do and they haven't been writing as much, um, which is also part of the reason why I haven't been as active with the blog since December too. If there aren't a lot of articles coming in for me to edit or talk about with them, the excitement isn't there as much. Um, I should probably work on recruitment a little more, tweet out to teachers um, to, to encourage their students to join the blog, but I don't know. I kind of- laziness. I have to be honest, I totally remember my senior year in high school and I was like, 
I was so had been so overcommitted for so long and done so much stuff. I'm very sympathetic to kind of the wanting to dial it back a little and like whatever happens to it happens to it. I feel like you like you did something kind of brilliant and I mean not kind of you did something brilliant and innovative and really smart and you made it all happen and you should be able to kind of like rest on that a little bit and just kind of like take what you want from it and walk away. So I don't think that that's like completely wrong, but you do, you have like, I mean, the other thing, the other thing is that you've built something and so you could create a legacy for it or kind of, you know, make, turn it into something more. But yeah, I totally understand your kind of, I think it's a healthy, healthy amount of self-awareness to not force yourself to keep tethered to it and to like, that it's not making you, bringing you happiness anymore or anything else. Yeah. Yeah, and Thank also you. I appreciate that. you should also like, you know, feel uh, empowered in your life to uh, to have your interests change. You know, like my whole second half of high school, I thought the thing that I was really interested in was playing the French horn. And, you know, like I, that's not what I do with myself anymore. And, you know, if if you had like, and it's, I don't regret a moment of time that I spent as a French horn player, um, like not a second of it. Um, but I got to college and I had a, an injury actually that prevented me from playing initially. And I went to a college with a conservatory of music attached to it. And when I was ready to start playing again, the other freshmen who were around were so dramatically better than I was and not in need of a uh, of a uh, of rehab from an injury that I just got intimidated and never really played again and that was fine actually that like like letting my interests change at that point was like probably did it for the wrong reason but it was uh, totally cool and I ended up learning a lot of poetry. And I actually ended up learning how to listen to music, which I had never actually done in high school. Um, and um, and so like, I like, it is like, like you shouldn't feel any pressure to have college SCOTUS because you had high school SCOTUS. It's like, if, if you go on to be like, uh, I don't know, something completely unrelated in life, and you have this like cool thing that you did when you were in high school, which has nothing to do with it. That's, that's totally cool. No, yeah, I'm excited for whatever happens. Um, maybe write for the school newspaper next year or start an interviewing show of my own because I really like interviewing, as you know. Um, do like a little mini Terry Gross show on campus and use my youth as an excuse to talk to important people. Yeah, so I want to talk to you about that because one of the people that you just cold called and um, basically wrote an email to and said, hey, can I interview you was me. And, um, and I want to ask you two things about interviewing. One mm -hmm. is, how did you learn to do it? Because you asked me questions that nobody else has ever asked me before. And you were like 14 or 15 at the time. And the second question is, how did you learn how to write? Because you write really, really, really unusually well, not for a 17 or 18 year old or whatever you are, but for anyone in an objective sense. And I spend a lot of time trying to teach people how to write. And 
I'm not I'm not getting a lot of them near the level at which you write natively. And so I'm just curious, how did you learn how to interview and how did you learn how to write? Two easy questions. No, um, thank you so much for saying that. For interviewing, it was mostly driven by terror, my, um, my need to overprepare because I was so afraid of talking to people. Um, so I think my first interview ever, apart from my high school principal was Peter Baker, the New York Times journalist. I was a really big fan of him, uh, I guess in my freshman year of high school and wanted an excuse I just to want to say to like, that's an extraordinary sentence. I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> I was like, I wish that I had been like, I wish that I had been like, I like no New York Times journalists when I was like in high school. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Go on. And, yeah. Okay. So um, yeah, I was, I was a huge fan of him. He was coming to Princeton where I, I live nearby and I was like counting down the days until he came, met him, asked if I could interview him. He was, faintly and said, of course. And then I was like, oh my God, what do I do? Um, I was like sick at the thought of even just being on the phone. I would practice talking on the phone to like my parents to get in like the frame of mind. And so I, I would just dig into whatever information I could find about him online. Like I did with you, I would try to find stuff from like really old sources from maybe before he was well known. Um, I'm not quite sure why, maybe just to find as much information as possible, but sometimes there'll be little details about a class somebody took in college that they liked or somebody who was influential to them. And I would take it from there. Um, so I'd say over preparation is the key to interviewing. Don't come in with 10 questions, come in with 30. That's not your approach, I know, but um, that's been mine. And then for writing well, I've been a reader my whole life. That's what I do for fun. Um, Sometimes I will try to write in the style of people whom I admire. Um, that's what I did with Peter Baker's writing in freshman year. So I would diagram like one of his articles. I would start with like the intro paragraph and see how he structured just the beginning of the first sentence. What kind of like dependent clause, independent clause, dependent clause, okay. And work from there. Um, that's like the nitty gritty kind of thing. That's also, brilliant. Um, That's so brilliant. I mean, I think it took me years and years and years of writing and getting it wrong to kind of like identify. And like, then finally, I think my, my senior year in college, I took a writing intensive class that was like to teach other people writing. And that was like exactly what we did. So the fact that you like figured that out on your own is like insanely, insanely amazing. Thanks. Yeah, I just, um, I kind of loathed everything that I wrote and I still do. Um, so I tried to emulate certain people, copy everything they do. And then eventually some of their um, style will, will go away and I'll, I'll keep some of it. So John McPhee has been a really big influence. I love yeah. John McPhee. Yeah. Oh my God. No, oh my I'm God, I love that you say that. Okay, sorry. Yeah. I'm always, I'm like, I'm like, when people are like, who do you try to write like? And no one ever knows him. Sorry. Yeah. Wait, why <laughs> do you like John McPhee? And what's your so favorite good. John McPhee stuff? What's your favorite thing? Um, a sense of where you are. I the really love Encounters with the Arch Druid. I haven't read that actually. Oh my God, I would highly recommend that. Read that on okay. while you're in the pandemic. That's yeah, your- cool. <laughs> we have like a, a whole section of the shelf of McPhee. For people who might not know, this is um, a kind of niche, nature-minded writer who's taught at Princeton for the past few decades. Um, 
he calls his style creative nonfiction, which I really love. He'll take a topic like uh, like a profile of a headmaster of Deerfield or a profile of the Pine Barrens and have a literary approach to it. And his sentences are so concise and there's not a single word in there that he hasn't agonized over, um, deleted if necessary and put back in. Um, he's incredible. So I've tried to copy him. He writes for copy. the New Yorker as well. That's also like pretty much, yeah. that's how people know him more broadly. He has a number of books, but he writes the New Yorker. And he's also really well known for, I mean, like you'd read Encounters with the Archdruid and it is, it is mostly like nature-based, but you read mm -hmm. that book and he takes, he takes this almost qualitative empirical approach to following the, the people around that he follows. And you read kind of his take and it is literary and it is feels like creative nonfiction. But at the end of the day, you finish the book where you finish the essay and you have no idea necessarily like how um, how like he feels about one um, one like person or another. And so there's kind of like, or like one idea or another. And so it's mm -hmm. kind of one of these moments in which there's a, I don't know, like a really, like he's just a very truthful storyteller. Um, and I think that it's, it's just kind of a really powerful uh, way, of, way of doing stories. I'm so glad that he's, I forgot that he was a Princeton. Um, yeah, he's 89 though, quite old. Is he? Have you met him yeah. before? Once in the basement of Labyrinth Books, which is the bookstore in Princeton, just for like a few seconds, I spoke with him. Um, so you, but should, hope you should interview both him and Terry Gross. Oh. That would be a they, dream. They would totally yeah. do it. You should just you should just email them and and uh, yeah. interview Terry Gross about the task of int uh, of interviewing and interview mm -hmm. uh, McPhee about about writing. They're both reasonably close to you. So listen, we have a a, a question from uh, Anthony Elanis, who uh, whose name may sound familiar to yeah. you. Yes, it yeah. Um, okay. And. Um, so I'm going to promote uh, Anthony to panelist. Anthony, if you'll turn on your video camera, your camera, then we'll be able to see you. And uh, why don't you uh, tell us who you are and then pose your question. Is this happening? This is surreal. <laughs> yeah, it's real. Are you there, Anthony? Oh my gosh, is he there? Hmm. I mean, well, I cannot hear him, um, but he is there. Okay. Uh, uh, so uh, instead of. Uh, I uh, just taught this case. Yeah. So instead of. <laughs> all right. So, Anna, Anna, so we're going we're gonna, to we're try this a different way. Anthony writes Anthony Alanis of the U.S. Supreme Court case Alanis v. U.S. Do you have a favorite Supreme Court opinion? So, um, having failed to get Anthony to introduce himself, Kate, since you just taught this case, uh, yeah. first of all, uh, this will give Anna a little bit of time to think about her favorite Supreme Court case. Um, Thank you. What? Who is Anthony Alanis, and and why do we wish we had just been able to have him pose his own question? Well, Anthony Alanis was um, a very—it's a controversial case. Um, to say the least, it's about kind of the um, intent to threaten 
Um, and uh, the case, I think it was 20, it was 2015, right, Anna? Um, I think so, yeah. Yeah, and um, it was, I mean, we didn't teach the case directly. I just made reference to it um, and kind of mentioned it briefly. So you can correct me, Anna, on the details. Um, but basically what I remember from it when it was happening um, was basically that um, he had stated rap lyrics that were violent rap lyrics, but they were directed or specifically in reference to, I, if it, it, this actually matters because about whether or not it was a threat, but um, about uh, that made it basically seem as if they were a threat or a threat of domestic violence and there, and he had been, um, uh, it was basically a question of whether it was a true threat and whether or not you could repost others' lyrics and that created um, a necessary true threat or whether um, the, whether like absent, uh, whether it mattered. Well, there were many layers in which they kind of analyzed this question. There was directionality issues, I think, at the lower courts. And then there were issues of whether or not it mattered that it was somebody else's words. Um, and uh, Anna, do you want to get into more details? Do you remember kind of the details of it? I don't. I think you got the gist of it about like the prosecution needing to show that he intended the rap lyrics to be a threat. Um, apart from that, I really don't know the case too well. Uh, yeah, I've seen him the, up here on Twitter before. And the conviction was, in fact, uh, overturned. And, um, yeah. uh, and um, he was, um, there were, and the, the, the question is how, how directed does the threat need to be and how specific and particular before somebody would or reasonably could consider something a true threat? I think that specifically his was not directional. It was statements. It was general Facebook posts that were made um, that like, but he had subbed in like, he had subbed in like, uh, like um, uh, the president. I, was it the president? I think it was the president. He had subbed in like the president or his wife or the president in a bunch right. of tricks. Uh, right. And, and there, so, was a, there was an issue of a cop too, right? Or a yes. law enforcement officer. Yeah, so I'm just kind of like looking at like the, I'm looking at the opinion right now. Yeah, and so it just, um, yes, and it was overturned. I think that it's a, so this is, I mean, I should be a little bit more familiar with Alanis given what I do, but I actually don't deal with like this type of level of, um, level of specificity in, um, in a lot of these types of cases, but it is kind of an interesting, um, I don't know, it's a, it's a, it was a fascinating case. It remains fascinating. It'll be interesting to see as these, um, and I'm interested to see what you think, Anna, like as like, are you familiar with Packingham? Did you follow the Packingham case? I know a little bit about it, but um, the sex offender was banned from Facebook in North Carolina, right? And he, yep, good he could get access to it. Yep. And yeah. so, yeah, and the idea was basically like, well, we're not going to say that like Facebook is is like stepping into the shoes of the government and is a state actor, but we are going to say that maybe it's a public square. Um, so I'm kind of fascinated, like if you put those two cases together, not to like all of a sudden make this substantive and kind of take away from um, Anthony's question, but Anna, I am kind of curious. Do you think that like, do you think that there's more of a case during the pandemic and in like in light of everything that's happened with the pandemic that like these are essential functions um, like the, that Facebook, Zoom access to these are more like a public square or more like a sidewalk um, than they were before? 
I, I think there's an argument for that. I mean, honestly, I don't know too much about um, like the whole doctrine surrounding public squares. I know it can apply to like private platforms such as Facebook sometimes, um, but yeah, especially in a pandemic, people sh should be able to debate issues relating to their community. I think Packingham's argument was that he wasn't using Facebook to talk with minors, which is what the state was worried about. He was using it to talk about his employment or some issue relating to traffic in the county. Um, and so I think that's definitely a concern for people who are facing unemployment right now and other myriad of issues. So Anna, what's, what's the answer to Anthony's question? What's your favorite Supreme Court opinion? Um, I'll take the easy way out and say the first um, case I ever seriously encountered. It's called Maslanyak versus the United States. Um, that I was not it, the answer I was expecting. I'm not sure I knew what I was expecting, but it sure as shit wasn't that. What were you expecting? <laughs> Wait, what were you expecting? I don't know, but I like was not expecting Maslanyak. I I can't pronounce it, um, and I'm not sure the Supreme Court justices know how to pronounce it either um because they pronounced it differently in different situations um anyway i was in a study hall in freshman year um on the new york times kind of hanging out and i read an article about this immigration case where um an ethnic serbian woman named divna maslanyak was uh naturalized as a u.s citizen okay cool but then they discovered that she had lied about her husband's military service while she was being naturalized. Um, she had said that he hadn't participated in this group committing atrocities when he had participated in, in that group. So the justices were wondering whether that lie um, was material, um, whether she could be stripped of her citizenship just, just for that lie. And they were kind of deciding um, how important a lie has to be for your citizenship to be taken away. Can you lie about your weight? Um, and then they deem you immoral and untrustworthy. Can you lie about a childhood nickname? Um, how serious does a lie have to be? Um, and the justices decided that it had to be a material lie, whatever that means. So a material I gotta, lie. I gotta ask you, why is this your favorite case? Is it just like, is it because it's your first? Yeah, for, for a couple reasons. One, because it was my first. Uh, it showed me how Supreme Court cases could be kind of interesting and funny in addition to being important because I was just in my study hall reading like the transcript, the oral argument transcript of the case. And the justices were kind of joking about um, what kind of nicknames you might lie about in order to like uh, not be embarrassed during your naturalization process, whether you could lie about um, speeding. Chief Justice Roberts admitted to like speeding um, and outside the statute of limitations. And I was like, oh, this is kind of funny. Um, I thought the law was more boring than that. Um, so this case showed me it could be interesting um, and it's just the first one I ever saw and it inspired me to write about more and to look up more cases. So who do you think now that Justice Scalia is dead, who do you think is the funniest justice? In writing and oral arguments or altogether? Altogether, like if you, if you had to, you know, go out, have a justice do, uh, I don't know, stand up comedy or write a, write a brief, like write a document that's supposed to be funny, who's, Who's got game in the in the humor department? I think Jay Wexler uh, would tell you none of the justices. I don't know if you follow his SCOTUS humor account. He's always, he tallies the number Wrong. of laughs that each justice gets. 
No, uh, Elena Kagan is funny. I know. No, yeah. I was going to say that too. Elena's pretty funny. Yeah, she's funny. She's actually funny. And uh, she puts, like, she and, like, she's not funny the way Scalia was funny, which was, like, he was really good at it. But she, no, she's a I very agree. funny lady. No, yeah. In, in uh, oral arguments for sure. I think she tries to be respectful in her opinions in a way that Scalia all, not always was. Although um, she's got the whole like Spider-Man thing, which yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, okay, um, Kate, yeah. what's your favorite court opinion? That's oh, just yeah. a question with a right answer. I mean, I, I'm glad we got all agree on it because so it's actually funny. I want to just say that like I um, I am so Yale Law School in particular, where I did my PhD, and then like I would say just generally like law professors seem to fetishize the Supreme Court and Supreme Court doctrine, and like. I just don't really. I yeah, think I mostly either. what? I don't either. Yeah, I just like don't like I think it's great that Anna that like you are doing this and that it's like I like I love it. I'm really glad that like smart people pay attention to this stuff. It just doesn't turn my crank. <laughs> like I just to like be totally honest. Um but like for my purposes, Packingham is probably my um, my most favorite uh Supreme Court opinion in general because I think that it like it draws this, it, it's, it starts, it's the start of the court understanding and grappling with um, what kind of space the internet is for the purposes of speech. And I think that that, and like citizen participation. And I think that that's super important, um, but I don't think it does that. Like the fact that they call it uh, like social media public square, they do that in dicta. It's like not even in the holding, it's like, you know. And so it's not that even that great, like, but, um, yeah, I just think that that's kind of how I, I feel about the, about, what about you, Ben? Do you have one? I do, but it's indefensible. Oh. What, what is it? My favorite Supreme Court opinion is Justice Jackson's dissent in the Terminiello case. Yeah. Um, so this decision is famous in history for only one thing which is that it is the place where Jackson used the phrase, um, uh, the constitution or the bill of rights is, uh, you know, uh, <clears throat> is not a suicide pact. Um, but um, I love it because it is uh, the richest. So the, the, the doctrine, uh, the, do the question before him was actually not wholly unlike the Alanis case actually, except it was live, it was not an, so it's this uh, fascist uh, oriented priest um, who gives a rabble rousing speech in Chicago and gets fined 150 bucks because the, uh, for disturbing the peace. And the question is, is the threat of, um, of violence that was, plausible. I do remember uh, this. Uh, going to, you know, justifies the enforcement against him and the abridgment of his free speech. And Jackson, who had just returned from uh, being the chief prosecutor at Nuremberg, yeah. uh, writes this incredible defense of the idea of police forces under the rule of law having to have some power against fascists on the one hand and the communist protesters who are showing up to 
uh, 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 cause violence at Terminiello's speech. Hmm. Is I think one of the richest uh, defenses of the idea of though I though I actually think his his constitutional analysis is wrong uh, or at least we've gone a different direction. It's one of the most thoughtful and uh, eloquent uh, kind of philosophical defenses of the idea of empowered democratic government against non-democratic forces, and so I love it even though. I actually don't support it as a matter of constitutional law. And I, I just think it's one of his most thoughtful statements and it's only remembered for this single phrase, um, but it's actually a really, really rich document. Um, so that's my favorite Supreme Court opinion. Um, so what else should we talk about? Hmm. Kate and I have a logistical question we have to work out, which is, are we doing this every day or are we doing this every weekday? Oh yeah, what do you think, Anna? I'm kind of, I've been teaching remotely. So uh, law school is taught, like I am, there's no digital or video, it's me on Zoom like this with 60 students and then 30 students and it's exhausting and it's for two hours at a time and half of them don't have their video turned on and so I, I don't see their faces or their expressions and it's like mm -hmm. it's just it's like it's very lonely actually it takes all the fun out of teaching like the only great part like I think the only good part of teaching is like the connection that you're getting from like feeling like you're kind of like what you're saying is the registering they're getting it they're learning or they're not and then you get to clarify it and then they get it and like None of, I don't, I get none of that. It's like none of it. It's the worst. Um, so anyways, my only point is that like, I get sick of sitting um, in front of my computer for a while. Sure. Yeah. My teachers were bummed about that too. And if you turn your microphone off and your camera off, I mean, you can like walk around the house and come back and nobody really knows. Right. Um, not, I'm sure like your students are paying attention. Oh no, they're definitely um, doing that. They're definitely yeah. doing that. <laughs> so, um, but, but I think there's like an important philosophical question underneath this, which is, are we trying to preserve the um, the uh, um, are we trying to preserve the distinction between weekdays and weekends? In which case, this should be something we do every workday. Or are we trying to dis distinguish create the distinction between life under coronavirus quarantine and regular life? in which case we should be doing this every day because like this is this thing we're doing when we're all, you know, shacked up in, in coronavirus quarantine. And there's actually no difference between a Friday and a Saturday for that purpose. And so like, I think so it goes to kind of one of the weird uh, um, um, it goes to one of like the, the core questions of like, what are we doing? Like what, what is our purpose here? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure there's much of a difference between a Tuesday and a Saturday right now. And it's not like you're discussing during the show, the difference between your Tuesday and your Thursday, the difference between like teaching and not teaching, right? So but I, what if I want there to be a difference, Anna? <laughs> <laughs> Manifest it. I want people to leave me alone for two days. Not you, Ben, I love you, but like, but like seriously, like what if like, 
I'm kind of like getting this screen fatigue. I'm like, what if, like, I never used to draw these hard lines ever. But maybe like, that's the, that's the answer. Like if you want two days to be left alone, uh, then that's like a great reason not to do Saturday and Sunday. Yeah, but I do like hanging out with you and I, you are completely correct. Like there, there is not really a difference except that like, um, except the, the difference that we create. Uh, it just, mm -hmm. it's just kind of whether we're going to create it or not. Um, and so I can't tell whether it's being more authentic to the conceit of the show, um, or whether it's kind of, I can't tell which direction that goes, if that makes sense. What do you think, Anna? Does Friday, is Friday and Saturday a distinction without a difference in this environment or are Friday and Saturday is it important to maintain the distinction between Friday and Saturday because that's normal life and we're trying to preserve normal life? Uh, I think the only distinction is whether if you, or the only difference is if you've taught on Friday and you're exhausted versus not teaching on Saturday and you're ready to go and film a podcast. Um, just depends on how tired and ready you guys are for, for filming. Um, so. And what do you think? Are you, are you, I mean, yeah. maybe just me and making, doing all these makeup classes and everything else. Maybe I'm just like, I'll feel better in a couple of days. I think that that actually is pretty likely. I feel better already after finally, like I pulled, I think that when we started the show, I had pulled an all nighter the night before to finish a paper um, that oh. I have on deadline for. Um, Anna, that never ends, by the way. I'm 35 years old and I'm still pulling all nighters. Um, oh. But uh, Ben, what do you think? Um, I think that we should approach it um, from a uh, very what feels good kind of uh, angle. And we yeah. should simply uh, wake up tomorrow and uh, text each other sometime midday and say, hey, do you want to have a drink and do a show uh, at five o'clock or not? And if the answer is yes, we should do it. And if the answer is no, I'm kind of enjoying being not having a screen in front of me today, then, then we shouldn't. And we should kind of make no promises. And maybe we can, if we decide to do it, we do it with somebody who we can get on very short notice rather than, uh, uh, rather than uh, somebody who like requires advance uh, uh, arrangement. Yeah, that's yeah. a great idea. I think right. like the rule of self-quarantine and self-isolation is to be easy on yourself if you can. I don't think anybody's going to be super upset at you if you're not filming something every day for an hour. Um, just do what feels right to you guys and keep bringing on interesting people and it'll work itself out. All right, from the mouth of babes, there it is. Um, uh, uh, wisdom, we will do a show tomorrow if we freaking feel like it. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, we'll tweet it out at some point yeah. um, that will be live. And if you miss it, well, you can watch it in oh, retrospect wow. or not right? watch it at all. Cause exactly. uh, that's always an option for you too. Sounds um, like Team Spirit, yeah. What else, what, what should we, what, what, what else should we go over today? How bad are the numbers today? Which numbers? Oh, about the coronavirus? Yeah. I haven't looked. I really have like stopped looking and not because I'm trying to like avoid the thing. I have actually just been so busy. I have not had time to read the news. Like I get up at like 8.30, I teach at nine. I teach from nine to 11, I'm stuck on my computer. I eat something. 
I start teaching at noon to two, it's like, like, I don't know, it's been going like, and then I have a makeup class like right after it. So it's just been like in complete insanity. So um, I'd be love to know what's going on. I, you were the one Ben who told me that Trump's approval numbers were uh, better after and I didn't know that. I hadn't seen that. And then I looked it up after we talked and I was like dismayed. I had no idea. Yes. Yeah, so, so they have improved um, on average by a couple of points. Um, and, you know, I can't decide how surprised by that to be. On the one hand, I totally understand a kind of rallying behind the president in a crisis and he is giving regular press briefings. So he's very visible. And uh, he's, you know, I suppose, to people who are inclined to look at it that way looks very in control and um, whatever. Um, on the other hand, it seems to me his management of this situation has been genuinely and unambiguously disastrous. And it kind of boggles my mind that that isn't painfully obvious for anybody to see. And so on the one hand, I'm you know, entirely surprised by it. And on the other hand, I'm kind of not surprised by it really at all. And I kind of vacillate between the two, but it's really of a piece with everything else that I've misjudged about public reaction to him. All these things that I assume are going to, um, uh, all of these things that I assumed were going to be devastating to him, including just his demeanor um, aren't. And so clearly my reaction has no bearing on reality. And, you know, I should, I would do better to expect the opposite of what I instinctively expect than to expect what I instinctively expect. I mean, I think that like a lot of people have that reaction and I'm kind of, okay. So I had this thought at the beginning of the episode when you told us that you were watching the West Wing and that's what you were doing with your, um, with some of your spare time during the pandemic. Um, and I'm kind of, okay. So I'm curious about that for two reasons. One, I um, grew up watching and waiting for West Wing episodes in real time, um, waiting for them to come out on NBC when I was in high school. Oh my God, um, you're so young. I know, I know. Um, the opposite of my reaction. I think Kate is probably like mid distance in age between Anna and me. Yeah, I'm always the bridge generation for everyone. It's like, I like to tell my internet law students that I'm like the person who both had like, there can remember the newspaper delivery. Be my dog is coming into the room, sorry. Excellent. <laughs> um, the newspaper delivery um, uh, coming in the driveway. And then also, um, sorry. <laughs> the newspaper delivery coming in the driveway. And then I also remember the AOL, AOL CDs coming in the mail and like all of my formative experiences as a teen and a young adult being built online. But what I was gonna say was that West Wing was like a pretty formative experience for me in terms of how I conceived of and like kind of the rhetoric and the, the glamor and like everything around government and the executive branch. Um, and so I'm one curious if it makes you re-question your like your commitment, Anna, to like to to SCOTUS, to the judicial branch, Article Three, and whether you're kind of become have become more interested in the executive um, from watching it, 
or um, two, like kind of how you watch that and then watch how our president talks right now, because I just feel as if the 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 level at which uh, Jed Bartlett kind of like speaks was a like a, was like a giant conceit of like democratic idealism in the first place. And then we had a Barack Obama who actually maybe was that good. Um, and, you know, was was great rhetoric, great at rhetoric. And so I'm kind of, yeah, I'm just curious what you what your take on it is. Um, as for the first question, I haven't really like considered switching from judicial to executive. Like, I really love watching the show, but I can't imagine myself like immersing myself in the day to day, like just press whirlwind that comes with the president and just like the fast pace. I mean, the idea of like speech writing is really cool. And that part of the show, I really like, like imagining myself in um, Sam's position. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm not as much into that. I'm more into like the nerdy, like studious focus on one issue and um, really get to know it rather than like a flurry from like an Indonesian state dinner to like a Cuban refugee crisis to a natural disaster. Um, that kind of gets in my head. Um, for your second question, yeah, um, it's tough to watch that kind of idealism and then to watch um, what's going on right now, I'd say. Like even as it, most teenagers are pretty idealistic too. Um, they have pretty like grand romantic ideas about politics and the West Wing fits that mold. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's disappointing. It's disappointing to not see um, the government being responsible about dealing with the coronavirus. It's difficult to see um, my school district not necessarily taking the coronavirus seriously too, like to some extent it has, but it hasn't given us clear directions about whether or not we're having school for the rest of the year. I think that's kind of irresponsible too. And they're giving us false hope. Um, yeah, now it's been difficult for sure. And if you've rewatched it, I think you probably feel the same way. Just imagining how like President Bartlett would handle this crisis fictional guy versus what's happening right now. Yeah. All right, before we go on to anything else, we have about uh, a little less than 15 minutes left. If anyone else has a question, uh, this is a good time uh, to uh, write it in the Q&A box. There is one question in there, which I will just read to you. If there is a lot of apathy toward the importance of the Supreme Court in our lives among high school students and beyond, as a high school student, what is your experience as to this apathy? So first of all, I wanna ask you about the premise of that. Do you find that high school students are apathetic about the Supreme Court? Um, I think maybe generally, if you say, hey, do you care about the Supreme Court? Somebody would say not really, but if you added some spice to that and said, hey, do you care about um, this gay rights decision? Do you care about this abortion rights decision and kind of explain what's going on in the case? then people have interest. What if you so, said you care about Brett Kavanaugh? Yeah, yeah, kids care about that, I think. Should people care um, about that? Yeah, um, just from having seen so much of the news cycle focusing on his confirmation hearings, people tend to have strong feelings about sexual harassment, depending on which like station they watch, they think he is kind of guilty or not. Yeah, kids definitely care about that. Um, but like, I don't, like to focus on whether kids have apathy about the Supreme Court. I think it's easy to get really patronizing about people my age and just speak from like, speak out of your butt. I think the better way to approach it is like, 
how can we get people interested in the court? And I'd say just direct them to cases about things that they care about. So if you have somebody who's interested in the environment, give them an environmental law case. If you have somebody who cares about abortion, like show them Planned Parenthood versus Casey in like a direct, um, understandable way. And I think that's that's the way to get people interested. Show them something that they already already care about, and then by extension, they'll care about the institution. I haven't actually put that into practice with people and kind of like forced them into liking the Supreme Court. But if if I were a teacher or something, I think that's probably how I would mm -hmm. try to go about it. And maybe start with a high school related case like Hazelwood. Or Tinker. Yeah, perfect. I was just gonna say Tinker, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. All right, What? Uh, anything else before we close out? What, what, what are we forgetting to talk about? What are like the, the, Anna, what's the older generation? What should we be focused on that we're, we're missing uh, that is blindingly obvious to everybody under 18? Um, don't download TikTok, it's a waste of time. <laughs> um, Really? That's I like mean, I haven't. I speak as somebody who has fallen prey to it just by like spending way too many hours of my life. Do not do it. It's not worth it. Um, so I, don't, I don't know. I don't know what, what you're missing. What does spending time on TikTok involve for you? Are you uh, like just watching your name videos? Or so not how I imagine the conversation. Yeah, no, it's like you know, Vine that used to be like a popular video. No, 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 app I know what would... it is. I just, I'm just yeah. trying to think like, how are you spending your time? Is it like, uh, no, like are you scrolling. making it's TikTok just... videos? No, no, no. I just kind just of scroll through. Blah, blah, blah. You just get but stuck I... watching them. You, they're just yes. like addictive to watch. Yeah, no, totally. This is why I deleted Instagram after a while. Like, but now I'm back to it because all of my friends, I don't have any way of like knowing what the hell they're doing. Yeah, and um, Instagram has been big for me too because like with the college admissions process, like once you get in somewhere, that's how um, admitted students connect with each other. So suddenly I'm on Facebook now, which I'm really not thrilled about, um, like all the time. And that's been my life for the past few days, um, especially because a lot of decisions came out yesterday. And so a whole flood of new people were- Really? I usually they don't come out until the beginning of April. They came out yesterday? Yeah, they came out last night. Oh. So are you, are you, are you, are we allowed to ask you? Yeah, sure. Yeah. I'm going to Princeton. Oh, congratulations. Yeah. That's Thank amazing. You. But we've known that since before. Well, you were an early admit. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Awesome. Well, very cool. Okay. Thank so you. I didn't know that Ben. Well, I, you know, was not <laughs> a high school student on her for, on the, on like, and where are you going to college? Have you I know, I didn't want to you. Thank you for that, yeah. I, I, that's like, the, I'm not I just not gonna want, do that. I, I didn't want to ask. <laughs> I asked it like, I asked kind of at the end. I just- Yeah, no, no, I, you didn't do You're anything good. wrong. I'm just telling you why I didn't lead with that. No, this is not like a family gathering where you hear like the same kind of thing at each station. Right, no, how, many, okay. how many times in the last month have you been asked, where are you going to college? Um. I've spent two and a half weeks of the past month basically at home self-isolating, so not much at all. But in the fall, I heard it a ton. Yeah. Um, probably a few times a day, several dozen times a week, maybe. But, you know, people are well-meaning and they care. They care enough to ask, so I, don't, I didn't mind it too much. 
It's a weird, it's a weird mix. There's like a, there's, there's, I remember when I was in, um, when I was in high school. So I'm like, probably what, like 15 years ahead of you, I think probably, but I still think that that puts me in a generation that was like kind of similar to like the turbocharged, um, um, the turbocharged, uh, kind of college admissions process, but we used to like write on the board, on a board in my AP calculus class, everywhere you'd gotten admitted. That would never be a thing. I feel like that people would do now, like, but it was supposed yeah. to be like, a, oh, really proud. But yeah, I, like I, Anna, you can say more, like, do you think it's like not a thing that people do at all? Well, the new version of that um, is that people will post on their Instagram stories where their friends got in and say, congratulations, like Eva's heading to Cornell. And you'll see like streams of that on people's stories. Um, I've, I'm not a huge fan of that. I think that kind of like puts people down who maybe didn't get in. Um, but yeah, it can definitely be a kind of snooty question to ask if you're like expecting a certain kind of answer. And I, I see where you're coming from with that. Well, congratulations to Eva, who's heading to Cornell. Um, we're gonna we're gonna bring this to a close. Anna, uh, uh, enjoy uh, to the extent that you can self isolation. Read the plague instead of the stranger. Um, okay. And um, uh, and uh, so we may have a show tomorrow, or we may not, depending on if we feel like it. Uh, ditto Sunday. On Monday, we will actually have Danielle Citron again properly. That'll be good. Yeah. On Tuesday, we will have Oren Kerr. Oh um, my God, such a lineup. Yeah, and on Wednesday, by popular demand, I think, we're going to have my uncle, John Turk, who's going to talk about coronavirus in rural Montana and about sailing across the Pacific Ocean in a kayak. Um, so, uh, those, that's all we've thought through so far, uh, uh, check out our Twitter feeds for information about tomorrow's show, if it's going to happen. And, uh, Kate, what are we, is there other stuff we need to say? No, I think that that's pretty much it. Basically check the Twitter feed to see, um, to see when we're, to have a link to the show and we'll let you know if we're coming back tomorrow, we might do like a half hour show or something, maybe something abbreviated, just you and I. Or something like Whatever that. Whatever you feel like, right? Whatever yeah. we feel like. All right. Have a good night, all. Bye. Yeah.